this week on the Back Table Podcast. I think a lot of people don't know what coaching is about, and I think that's part of it. People are not used to investing in themselves. They're used to saving and save it for their kids. And things are very important, but people don't realize how important it is to invest in themselves because then they can be an asset more to their family and to the and the happiness of, of their lives. If I didn't get coached, I wouldn't be on here today with you. I wouldn't have created lead physician. I would not be a chief medical officer. I wouldn't be an investor. I wouldn't be doing bold things. You know, my, my parents and my sisters kind of scratch their heads and say, what the heck happened to Elsie? <laughs> 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 and when they come to visit my house for Thanksgiving and Christmas, they're like, what is this? Like, they look in my office, <laughs> but they're like... I don't know how she does this. <laughs> so those are the people who know that there's been transformation, right? They, the people who you grew up with. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable Podcast. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on Backtable.com, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. Now, a brief message from our sponsor. A Navy fistula is a critical lifeline for end-stage renal disease patients on dialysis. See six-month outcomes from separate AV access maintenance trials evaluating PTA balloons, stents, and drug coded balloons at medtronic.com slash avdata. For more than a decade, Reflow Medical has designed and engineered medical devices that respond to unmet clinical needs. The Wingman Crossing Catheter with its unique extendable beveled tip and an expanded indication for CTOs. The Specs LP, created to meet the need for a low-profile version of the Specs shapeable support catheter, and the new line of core catheters that answers the call for a suite of effective tools to use in challenging PCI procedures. Now, back to the episode. Today, I've got a special interview I've been looking forward to since I was on her show. We're going to be discussing physician coaching and leadership training, and we've had a number of previous guests who've come on with their own kind of side gig companies that they've started while being busy physicians. We've had James Dahl, the Co investor, Naveen Goyle with Loud Capital. And with us today, we've got founder of Lead Physician, a leadership and physician coaching program and interventional radiologist, Dr. Elsie Coe. Elsie is also the chief medical officer of American Endovascular Amputation Prevention. Welcome to the show, Elsie. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, Aaron. You know, I've been a fan of yours, as we were talking about on the episode I was on as a guest, just because you put out regular content every week. It's always engaging and it brings these like high level topics to our colleagues, right? But for those of us who aren't familiar, who maybe aren't on LinkedIn, can you tell us a little bit about your background and maybe where you were in your career when you started Lead Physician Program? Yeah. So this all came about this leadership program that I created actually in the beginning, right before COVID started way back when. When I became a medical director two years out of fellowship, I suddenly found myself in a place where I didn't feel like I belonged. I didn't fit. I didn't feel like I had the skills. And suddenly I am the medical director of the surgical center because of my interventional skills. And people started trying to push me into leadership positions. And I just, I didn't know how to do it. And I failed, flat out failed. I know I failed because few years later, I was told on a party bus that I made each and every person cry. What a slap in the face. I thought it was a joke, but it wasn't a joke and nobody was looking at me except the person who was telling me this. 
So I realized that something needed to change. I wasn't that person they were telling me. I wasn't the person who was making people cry. That's not who I am. I know that. And so I began this journey of personal development, leadership development, which has been tremendous. I've done nonstop self-development every year, even now. Even before I started LEAD, I would say two years back, I decided to invest in myself and get real mentorship. And as a result, that's what came out of this. I started recognizing that other physicians needed the same kind of support and we didn't have it. We aren't put into leadership positions when we should be in healthcare. And that's that was my motive for a lead physician. It was never my intention to start in the first place. It was a personal thing, but now it's much more than that. Yeah, and, and let's back up because you just kind of slipped it in there that you're on a party bus. And <laughs> and I wanna I wanna elaborate on that real quick. Uh, you did give a great TED talk, which I caught on YouTube, where you tell the full story about like <laughs> your employees and you're at an event. Give like the the Cliff's Notes version of the party bus story. You were with colleagues from work, right? Right. So basically, we got this party bus. I thought it would be fun. We get a party bus because we have a company party meeting in Manhattan. We're in New Jersey. So took everyone from the surgical center, put them on a party bus, had the music going. We had people brought in hors d'oeuvres, drinks. It was supposed to be a fun event. We're all excited about the party. We started giving speeches on the bus. You know, it was one of those buses where you can stand and hold on to those poles. There's lights everywhere, you know, the the crazy lights. And my center manager stood up and said, Dr. Ko, did you know that you made each and every person on this bus cry at one time with you? And I, I just started laughing. I thought it was a joke, but nobody else was looking at me. And I felt horrible. I mean, what a slap. And I, you know, I'm so grateful for that moment because if it weren't for that, then I think I would have continued on the way I was. Yeah, that sounds like a very humbling moment. And, um, yeah. and, and I, you know, in a, in a party setting of all places, too. I mean, it wasn't like they said it to you at work where you might have even shrugged it off, you know, and kind of walked by it. But like you, it was kind of even more profound because you're in this moment that should be celebration that got brought way down by that admission. And so I want to talk a little bit about you had this pivotal moment, you saw this need to change, and you started seeking out basically coaching or leadership training. Before we get into that, can you tell us, is there a difference between a coach and a mentor? When that happened to you, did you start reaching out to mentors or did you seek out somebody who was like truly a, a coach, a physician coach? I didn't seek out a coach at that point. I didn't even know really they existed. I didn't. I started reading books. I started listening to CDs at the time. <laughs> In my car, it was a 45-minute commute, and I started becoming this voracious reader of self-help books. <laughs> and I think the reason why I made people cry wasn't because I thought I was better than everyone else. It was because I was probably insecure of where I was. I didn't know how to get people to listen. And I just did what I saw in medical school, which is you gave orders. That's what was done to me. That's what I saw. That's mentorship. Mentorship is just kind of mirroring somebody else, somebody telling you what to do, you, somebody showing you how it's done. Coaching is different, and coaching is something I learned about much later on. And now it's much more widely accepted now. 
A lot of people didn't know about coaching back then. I've been practiced for about 18 years in, and so it was very different back then. I'm, I know there were coaches, but I just didn't know of them. But coaching is basically allowing the person to discover more of themselves through this person, to have them be more aware of their blind spots, to be able to them to uncover what's going on, what's unique about them, and helping them along the way, not telling them what to do, more so guiding them but allowing them to see what they haven't been seeing of themselves. I think empowering is like the best term that I've seen on, on your website and I've heard you use because that's really what physicians need right now. And I'm sure that that's partially what inspired you to form the platform was like you were probably seeing this in your colleagues, right? The same kind of behaviors and feelings of insecurity. Right away. I see it right away because I'm so aware of it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, you see, and when you start seeing it in yourself, you start seeing it around you, right? And so take us back in time, like what year was this when you actually started the platform itself? So 2020 is when I started lead physician, but 2018 is when I started coaching people. And I was coaching anyone who wanted to be coached because that's what I was, I was training to coach at that point. I coached people in healthcare from all different realms, whether in operations or they were in sales, or they were physicians. So they were all together in a group-like setting. So before you started coaching people, what was the training you underwent to become a coach? So I did a few different coaching programs. I did the Bob Proctor coaching program. He has unfortunately passed away during COVID, but it was called the PGI Institute, and I got certified. I called him for myself. I called and I spoke to him on the phone. He's, he's, I don't know if anyone knows of Bob Proctor, but he's one of the gurus of personal development out there. And he was trained by Earl Nightingale, who used to be the big personal development guru of his day, who was trained by Napoleon Hill, who was trained by Andrew Carnegie. So all these concepts that I teach that I now incorporate into my leadership program, a lot of that comes from things that have been passed down from generation to generation of successful people. So I got certified through him. It was a whole year worth of training going to Toronto, Canada to his training programs. When I spoke to him on the phone, I told him these things that I wanted to change in my life. And he said, Elsie, maybe you should join me and be a coach. And I'm like, what? You know, and, and I just thought, you know, let me just try. It was a, a life changing moment because he made me see that I had more potential than I was giving myself credit for, which physicians, we do so much we've gotten to so far, but we don't realize that there's so much more beyond our capability of where we've taken ourselves. We have tunnel vision once we get into medical school and choose a path and decide that interventional radiology is where I want to go or whatever, anesthesia, OBGYN, primary care. But there is so much more to us that we might have had buried from our childhood of what we love to do or what we're capable of. That was what, that's what makes lead physician different is that I incorporate that piece into all the other logistical pieces of leadership. And I've gotten my executive master's in healthcare leadership at Brown, which helps a lot because then I can incorporate a lot of the logistics and very academic part of leadership into this program. Yeah, Gopi and I were just talking to you and my wife, Gopi Shaw. We were just talking about that last night. It's like our identity as physicians and her parents are physicians it's just so hardwired into us. And you start asking this question, like kind of in your mid-career, like who am I outside of being a physician, right? Like Gobi was like quizzing me, like 
what do you know me for as, besides being a physician? And I was like, well, I know you like to make jokes. You like to dance. You like to travel. Like all we were kind of spitballing these things, but it kind of get. it's funny how you reflect on this and you're like, did I lose a portion of myself when I went down this pathway to become a physician? And some of it, you're kind of hinting at imposter syndrome, right? It's like, you kind of feel like you're not good enough to be in these positions or to, to try something different from what you are comfortable with. And I imagine that's a lot of what you've been seeing as you've been on this coaching pathway is like, I, do you see a lot of imposter syndrome out there? Oh yeah. And the thing is, it's not so obvious unless you dive deeper into these conversations with people because they try to, people try to mask it, right? Physicians should show no weakness. We are taught to be experts. And I know I felt that way. I was asked to be chief medical officer at one point on my prior job. And when I got that phone call, do you know what I did, Aaron? I, I laughed. I laughed because, first of all, I, I couldn't believe somebody was asking me that. And second of all, I didn't believe I could do it. A lot of times we don't even realize the behavior that we put out there is a direct reflection of what's going on internally. And a lot of the communication we put out there is nonverbal, 70% of it. So if I were in front of this person, that person would be like, why is she acting that way? But she, he did say on the phone, why are you laughing, right? I didn't have the confidence, the self-image. I didn't believe in much bigger than where I was already. I mean, I was already in a leadership role, not a chief medical officer, not even a regional medical officer, but a medical director. But I didn't believe I could go that far. We have so much more potential than we even give ourselves credit for. And it's up to us to be able to step into it and try. And we don't want to try. We want to stay in our comfort zone. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. Yeah, then you're in your comfort zone. You start looking around. And you're like, what am I doing? Like, I haven't done anything adventurous in a long time. I look at you, Aaron, and I see you building this whole back table podcast. I mean, this is outside of your, I mean, this could be outside of a lot of people's comfort zone to create something like this. So I applaud you and I look at you and I'm like, you know, he understands this concept. Well, it totally was. I mean, I had to be talked into it. I didn't, it wasn't my idea. Somebody else was like, hey, you should do a podcast. I was like, eh, I don't know if that's for me. The audiences have heard that story before, but it's, I was talking to, I think it was Nisa Majid, who you know as well. And she talks about, you know, half time and these like five-year cycles that we kind of get into as physicians. When you look back, I do find that every five years, I'm kind of like itching for something new and different, you know? And I do feel like that's just how we trained, right? We had the undergrad, then we had med school, then we had residency. And then, you know, five years in practice, you're kind of like, hmm, there might be a change on the horizon. And that's kind of the way my life has unfolded. How do you see a lot of that in co your coaching experience? I see a lot of people scared, but because I pushed them to that point, but then they are so excited at the same time. That's how you know you have the right goal in front of you when you are kind of like you, like you're saying, somebody kind of talked you into it, but you were probably excited about it at the same time as having some fear. That's how you know you pick the right goal. Some people like you have that innate ability to do that, even if someone had to help you do that, but you had that innate ability to take that leap. But most of us, I would say, don't have that, but have the potential to. And that's got to be really what's so fulfilling about LEAD and what you do. You're probably helping inspire people, prompt them to take those leaps. You see that fear and then you're like, okay, we're, this is our pathway. I'm going to get you to where you want to be. That's going to be incredibly fulfilling 
Did you have any stories you can tell or anything that obviously no personal stories, but anything that I'm sure has to energize you to keep want to keep do it to, to watch people succeed? Oh yeah, I mean, I have people who have no idea what their goal should be. Then I also have people who have an idea and but don't have the self-confidence to do it. So I've seen people move states, actually multiple people who've moved to a different state for a different occupation or different job and are or even within the state and dealing with the current environment they're in in such a way that it's life-changing. So one person had created a telemedicine company actually that has been able to reach out to the rural community within her state. I've known another person who's thriving building already a within nine months a six-figure billing company that's helping physicians in their offices really get reimbursed the way they should be and built software with her husband. And this is not that I've done it. I'm not, I don't want to make it sound like I did You're facilitating. it. facilitating. I facilitated it. And I use concepts from people in the past who've succeeded. So it's not my concepts. But we also talked about communication skills. So we also used leadership skills in order to be able to influence change within an organization or to be able to go to leadership and have the gall to say this needs to change, but in a, in the right way, not not in a caustic and toxic way, but in a professional way where someone will listen. And if change doesn't happen, then that person actually moved on to a different job and created a leader position for themselves. I could go on and on. <laughs> yeah, clearly you want to push for positive change, not change just for the sake of change. Because parallel moves, we all know, doesn't really accomplish much. And I'm sure that's part of what you do is help people come up with, like you were saying, you're, you're trying to help people come up with it themselves, right? You're not telling them what job to take. You're helping them make the decision on what job to take by equipping them with that confidence, right? Right. So I just wanted to tell you, since you brought that up again, I recently added on to my, this is probably like the third coaching program I've done, but I got the International Coaching Federation through the Pyramid Resources, which is a phenomenal coaching program if anyone's interested. I went to that coaching program because I understood that there's another way to coach. And I think having the ability through the ICF, International Coaching Federation, which actually has specific guidelines and ethical guidelines to help somebody thrive in coaching. So the ICF does, and when I see somebody who's had ICF training, I'm attracted to them because they help facilitate change of a person by looking them in a unique way and to not be that mentor to tell them what to do, but to help guide them. I mean, at some point it, it, you, you tell them, listen, I'm putting my mentor hat on and I, I'm giving you advice as a mentor at this moment. But in general, I think the best way to coach somebody, especially a physician, is somebody with ICF training. Is that how you came up with your curriculum? So the curriculum is a combination of the Bob Proctor personal development and my Brown <laughs> executive masters. And the ICF coaching is more of the one-on-one -on -one and the group training. So it is a conglomeration. I think that's what it makes it unique. So I have videos that I've created that all have CME, by the way, and worksheets that people give to me so I can find out what it is that's going on with them. And then we, we do live sessions on Zoom and then one-on-ones uh, -on as well. 
What do you see as some of the barriers? We already talked about fear, right? And and maybe even a little bit of pride, but people seeking out a coach. Is cost prohibitive or do you think it's, I mean, we like a lot of sports analogies on back table because I do feel like physicians are like professional athletes and we should treat ourselves as such because of what we do and the stress that we're under and we should be healthy and we should have coaches, honestly. It should be something that I think is even like maybe even part of our training to get us set up with lifelong coaches. Maybe in the future, that's something that, that can be incorporated. But what do you think are like for people that are already out there, maybe a little bit more old school, what have you seen that has been like hesitation? Hesitation a, a lot of times comes from not believing that this is really going to work for them. Physicians are willing to pay for it if they know for sure that this is going to take them from you know A through Z. And I think a lot of people don't know what coaching is about, and I think that's part of it too. Yeah, the cost can definitely be prohibitive to somebody who's not used to spending that much on themselves. People are not used to investing in themselves. They're used to saving and using it for, save it for education for their kids. And things are very important, but people don't realize how important it is to invest in themselves because then they can be an asset more to their family and to the and the happiness of, of their lives. If I didn't get coached, I wouldn't be on here today with you. I wouldn't have created lead physician. I would not be a chief medical officer. I wouldn't be an investor. I wouldn't be doing bold things that people, you know, my, my parents and my sisters kind of scratch their heads and say, what the heck happened to Elsie? <laughs> 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 and when they come to visit my house for Thanksgiving, Christmas, they're like, what is this? Like, they look in my office, <laughs> but they're like, I don't know how she does this. <laughs> so those are the people who know that there's been transformation, right? They, The people who you grew up with. For sure, because they know the old you. My old you is so different. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's so true. Like, it's otherwise you just be in the same bubble, right? And you got to pop that bubble and, and get out and, and be a little bit more adventurous, whether it be in your career, jumping to a new job that might give you more fulfillment or, or one of these side gigs. It sounds like a lot of the, the people that you've been coaching have been attempting or succeeding with physician side gigs, right? Oh, not necessarily. It's trying to be a great leader within an organization or trying to get promoted. One person told me, I love my job, but I don't know if there's anything else for me. So I'm looking into this, that, and the other. So we're, we're talking about what kind of job she wants. And then, all, you know, she's looking at interviewing here and there and whatever. And I, you know, and I asked her, you know what, what about internally? Have you asked anyone about X, Y, or Z within the organization that you love to work for, you love where you are. And she stopped and she's like, I never asked. She never even thought to ask within her organization if she can move up. We become our biggest obstacles and we don't even realize it. And it's up to a coach to be able to see that, to help uncover that for them. And I, I do have other coaches within Lead Physician I've created and I'm building a faculty I have a co-director, Pam Ludmar is my co-director, and she's gone through my program in order to be a coach with an elite physician. So she knows the content inside and out, and she's ICF trained. So is that the vision to kind of grow a whole institute or, or you know, school of coaching? Yeah. Well, first of all, I cannot always be there, Erin, because I am a practicing <laughs> physician, and this could 
easily be a full-time job and so I need help. I'm always looking for physicians who have this background and this drive because I like lead physician to grow much bigger than it is right now. Well, that was my next question. You're a busy full-time doc. You've got lead. It sounds like you have partnership coaches that are helping. You're always looking for people to add to the platform. Is there a competitive market for it now, or is there not enough platforms offering this service? There are definitely competitive markets, but they are very different, I think. So that's what gives, I think, lead physician a different edge, because I'd like to think that way, but there are definitely, there's so many coaching programs out there, but this one is specific to physicians. And I've had feedback from some physicians saying, oh, you should try to open it up to all healthcare people. But I think what's unique about it is because it's physician only and because we meet in this group-like setting and people end up becoming really like close friends even, they're able to let down their guard because they realize that everyone else here is in the same boat and everyone realizes their limitations and realize that they are all here for a reason and they and the, the thinking that occurs, the, the masterminding, so to speak, is tremendous because people are uncovering their uh, talents in ways and they're, they're inspired by other people who are doing the same thing. Do you, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I completely agree with the concept of, I feel like um, in medicine we're kind of tribal and that's part of the philosophy behind Backtable, why I have it by specialty, because we like to relate with each other and there's some overlap here and there, you know, coaching obviously is a subject that has overlap, but when it comes to Gopi and I can come home at the end of a long, hard day and complain to each other or cry to each other, or, you know, it's because we're both physicians and we get it. We get each other on that level, right? And it might be not that a nurse wouldn't or, you know, a technologist or anything like that. It's just, there's a certain level of relatability that I think, especially in the small group setting, it really helps, I think, get people to be probably more honest and more forthcoming. Oh, yeah. And when I did my executive masters at, at Brown, I was in groups, but there were, there were a lot of physicians in the group, but they tried to move physicians scattered around the different groups. So you're in groups of, let's say, five to 10 people. And so the people in my group were, it was the COO, there was an IT person, there was a nurse administrator, there was people in different parts of healthcare. And there was me as the only physician in that group. And I felt really uncomfortable at that time. This was 2015 to 2017. I didn't want to let down my guard because I didn't want anyone to know that I didn't know what they're talking about. But it, you know, I, <laughs> I mean, I definitely learned a tremendous amount. My vocabulary is the vocabulary that you learn, the concepts you learn allows you to have conversations with people outside of just clinical medicine. And that's changed a lot. But I would say that the self-image piece, the confidence, the ability to communicate because you really are, are authentic now because you're so comfortable in your own skin that piece i would say is 50 percent of leadership at least yeah getting rid of the insecurity basically yes you're right it's the insecurity that really is probably the root source of a lot of bad behavior it's just people posturing but like in a way that's not productive and and, and that's the whole thing is like you kind of hinted at it but when you were in these mixed groups is you know it's also kind of a like a language thing like we don't speak the same language as these coos and ceos I think that's part of the divide, right? In these hospital systems, it's like the docs and the executive C-suite people just don't speak the same language. 
and then you have these divisions and, and that's why things aren't really being handled productively. And so we need to educate ourselves, right? We need to learn more about their language and how to talk to them and the things that they care about. They do too, you know, but it helps if, if we're leading the front on that. And it takes time. I mean, but, you know, we know we're all smart enough, right? We're definitely talented, smart enough. It's just, where do you find the time to learn those things in order to speak that same language? And whether it be in the hospital setting, the outpatient setting, in a side gig, I've learned so much fumbling through running back table about business, but I, you know, I'd still would love to get an MBA at some point because I know there's so much I don't know, you know? Right. But I think the, the biggest thing, like you said, that hinders physicians from growing and getting into leadership positions is not having the the confidence to even say, I don't know, and saying, listen, can, you know, and, and we don't realize, I mean, maybe some of us do, but people put us on a pedestal and believe that we already know all this stuff. But if we go to them and say, you know what, I don't really understand a lot of these concepts. Do you, can we sit down and just talk about it? Or can, we, can you uh, help me? Can you put me with somebody who can help me learn these things? Or can you share some books or something like that? And then people really are excited to teach you because they already see you as an expert, period. And they realize that you didn't have the time to learn some of this stuff. And we don't see it that way. We see it as, you know, don't show weakness. Don't let them, anyone know that I don't know. It's, uh, that's how I thought. And I, and I realize a lot of physicians feel the same way. It's so true. You're just afraid to let them know what you don't know. You want to hold on to that power that you feel like you have because you think you're the smartest person in the room. It's just like, no, we check our egos at the door. Like, yeah, just be kind of a little bit more vulnerable and you're going to learn something. Or if they're going to take advantage of you, well, you learn that, that they're really not the right person to talk to. So I want to get into final thoughts as we wrap up here. It's clearly your platforms trying to help turn things around by empowering docs and providing them the leadership skills that we need to basically, let's be honest, take back medicine. I mean, things we've been talking about today is as a result feeling where we have this identity crisis, we're losing the medicine that we love. What advice would you give to the young docs just getting out of training and looking to empower themselves from the starting gates? Luckily, I think some medical schools are starting to catch on and residency, but I think not the majority of them are not, or maybe they're piecemeal and some people are maybe interested. I say, get interested now. It's important for physicians not to just learn clinical stuff, and we need to get rid of that old thinking that I'm just going to let them do it, and I'm just going to do my job. I'm just going to do the clinical stuff, let them deal with all the business stuff. That is not medicine anymore. And if you want to be a valuable asset to healthcare transformation, make sure you become interested. Even if you don't know if that's what you want to do, try I would say try and whatever resources are in front of you, go get it. Go do it. Go see it. You will be so much more better off, not only if you decide to have your own private practice or your own business or work for hospital, 60% of physicians are employed now. So it's better for you to be interested in something that you didn't even intend being interested in. That is a successful, well-rounded physician who can help healthcare transform the right way. It's up to us who really understand the science of medicine to marry that with the business of medicine so that we're directing things in the right way and not leaving patients out from getting what they really need. Yeah, and along those same lines, I mean, there's a lot of people in my generation, Gopi and I have recently been talking to a lot of our med school friends, and we're all kind of feeling the same discontent 
over where we are in our careers. Any advice for, other than just seeking out a coach, but any other kind of advice for people in the sort of mid-career phase that are looking to to burst that bubble? Yeah, there's there's such, we all talk about burnout and frustrations within the existing working pool of physicians. It's never too late to make a change in your career or in your own personal development. And I think leadership development is married to, when I say leadership development, I also mean personal development. And when you develop yourself and realize that you don't have to take it the way it is and the way it has been, this is how I'm going to retire. There's so many other options for you and you don't have to feel pigeonholed into where you are right now. It's time to explore. And so I would encourage you, no matter where you are in your career, I got my executive master's when I was 47. So can you imagine who does that? There's a lot of people much younger than I am in, in my in that class. So people say I look younger than I, I am. But I'm telling you, if you, we have so many more years to live. Why not live it the way you want? Why not get the fulfillment and make the impact that you really want? So don't be in this rut. Don't think that this is all there is and, and be down and stressed out learn to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. There's something else out there. Perfect. Elsie, thank you so much. And for our audience who wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, they can email me at info at drlcco.com or they can go to leadphysician.org and there's a way to contact us through there. Thanks for coming on the show, Elsie. Appreciate it. I appreciate what you do. Thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Dong, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon. With support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz. Article and transcript support by Taylor Robinson. And Delaney Aguilar. Social media and PR by Ann Dang. Administrative support provided by Jim Lee Kennebrew. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Mood. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening. 